Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 55. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. You've raised a, you've raised a number of times, you know, I've, heard, I've just heard you say, you know, it, I just... I don't know if it's a sense of like I need you know wanting to make sense of this or wanting to explain it or just wanting to sort of say hey this is really don't know what to make of the fact that we are seeing things in a very different way we are talking about things in a very different way. Well, you know what's funny about that? I think the more time that goes by, the more comfortable I'm becoming with that tension. How do you how do you mean? Well, as I think back on a scale of 1 to 10, I think it used to bother me a 9, an 8 or a 9 on the the extreme end that how can there be this difference and now i feel like that level of how can this be is is more down to like a two or a three wow and i think that's just been time and talking about stuff also finding i'm gonna just drop this in but we'll talk about another time so a listener sent me a book books are always welcome by the way um Mm -hmm. it's called surrender to love by david benner b-e-n-n E-R. It's called Surrender to Love, Discovering the Heart of Christian Spirituality. Mm-hmm. Well, this book talks all about love, also talks to our some of our recent conversations about the significance of sin and how that fits into the whole situation. Anyway, this book is, I haven't gotten too far in it, but it seems to kind of reinforce your assertions about who God is and mm-hmm. how much God loves us and all that kind of stuff. So, I guess all I'm trying to say is maybe it's just the process of time. Maybe it's coming across other resources and other people that have written that I kind of look at their background and the way that they approach the subject matter and say, okay, I don't sense any type of rigor or... (laughs) Uh. I think that's a good... I was going to say intellectual. That sounds kind of insulting. As I read Surrender to Love, which is probably half the length of Not a Fan... The mm-hmm. amount of rigor and the tightness of his topic and his presentation mm-hmm. compared to Not a Fan, like there's just no comparison. So am I going to trust his message more than Not a Fan? Absolutely. And right. what's interesting too, the publisher's different. The more stuff I come across by Zondervan, the more I'm just kind of like, mm. eh, not so sure on this. This is mm-hmm. really cut and dry, simple. Just mm-hmm. do this, just do this. This is by uh, published by InterVarsity. Mm. So, which I think has typically published more intellectual-type approaches to things. I want to say I saw a lot of InterVarsity inter- Press stuff at Labrie. Mm-hmm. Ring true yeah, for you? Or? I think so, although Zondervan, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, I I do think Zondervan's got a more of an academic stream as well. But, yeah, I mean, I find, I find particularly, say, Erdman's will, I mean, that's very academic. Or Baker, I think of Baker. Baker, absolutely. Baker Bookhouse, yeah, they'll do some really academic stuff. Um, You made a comment just before. I mean, I I appreciate that comment about rigor and, and, you know, noticing the differences in publishers, perhaps. You made a comment right before then. You were were talking about, you know, getting, feeling more comfortable. You're down to sort of a 
Oh, like which one I would trust? No, no, now I know what it was. You talked about this whole idea of who God is. You made this comment about, you know, I guess the nature of God. or, And I guess, I guess what I'm coming to, and I'm glad to hear that you're feeling, you know, I guess I'm sensing it as we are, you know, we do our back and forth through the podcast and through various, you know, podcasts along the way, along this whole time span, I've been sensing that, you know, you're feeling more comfortable. And, and, I, and I know that you don't just buy into something because I'm saying it, and yet I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> this sense of resonance. It's like, hey, this is kind of resonating. This is making sense. This is kind of, this integrates with my world and with, with what I see around me, with what I experience and with what I, you know, when I read the text, I, the whole idea of rigor that I can see when you apply some rigor to it. Okay, this makes sense. Well, and I think too, I was thinking this just last night that I think I'm making some forward progress. It's incredibly slow. It's like little like hmm. fractions of a step forward. I don't know if it's wow. every day or if it's every month. Uh, I mean, recently I started reading the Bible more than I have in a while and finding mm-hmm. all kinds of interesting stuff, thinking, oh, this totally ties into what we were talking about, or, oh, wow. I wonder what this means, or, oh, this could make a good podcast. And in fact, and then was calling some books this weekend and came across some, well, some of them I just outright threw them away, like the... Uh, the John MacArthur Bible commentary can no longer live in our house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I just had to say goodbye to that thing. But no, I came across some other books on, you know, old Testament history and new Testament. And I was like, Oh, you know, I think I really want to read this book, which is kind of a different before these books. It was like, Oh, I can't get rid of that book. I bought it. And now it was more like, no, I think I want to read that again. And and I can Mm -hmm. learn some things there. So Mm -hmm. that's a huge detour away from wherever you were going. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not so much as you, you guess. I mean, I, I guess where I'm going is raising the point that I think what we're doing is we are looking much more closely at a couple of questions. Maybe the main question that we're looking at, I think, in the podcast is who God is. And we're coming up with different answers. So we're coming up with an answer that's different from what Kyle Adaman would say. And we're coming up with an answer, <clears throat> I think, that's different than, than what, although not as different, but is different from what Darren Hufford would say. And I think the other question that we're looking at probably is, you know, what are human beings and what's the relationship look like? How does it work between human beings and God? I, I think that it's probably pretty important for listeners to, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you might have a sense that these things, that, that how we view God, what we think human beings are, what the relationship should look like, uh, are different. But I guess it's time to be a little more overt about that. Yeah, I guess this is, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that comfortable because it's one thing, as you say, you know, you can have a rigorous approach to something. And when you do that, when you kind of do your homework and you do your, your, your due diligence, you can look at, for example, how Kyle Eidemann might use Luke 9.23, which is take up your cross daily and follow me, which is a verse that recurred probably the most in his book, Not a Fan. And then you can look at, you know, perhaps our presentation where we are, you know, really deep digging into the various occurrences of that, that notion across the New Testament. We're looking at it 
you know, where it might have antecedents in the Old Testament, trying to come up with the broadest and best possible understanding of it in itself before we sort of say, okay, here's how it applies or anything like that. And I think that, I hope that for people who are interested in Christianity, who might consider themselves Christian, that a rigorous approach would be valued. Um, certainly there's more than just an intellectual understanding there, but where some of these, you know, there are some complexities with this being an ancient text written to an ancient audience, having different standards of authorship and different norms of, you know, literary standards for different types of, you know, different genres and et cetera, that have to be taken into account. And when you don't do that, you risk reading it like it's a a letter written by your friend yesterday to you, which this clearly isn't. So I guess, I guess for me, it's really important to say that, I guess like this book that you're reading now, I had a conception of God that was really God's, God's king, God's sovereign, God says it, you do it. And that for me broke down. It broke down in the face of real life. Faced with real life, that conception did not hold water. You know, obviously I've returned to Christianity, not by relenting on what for me is a fact that that perception, that perspective, pardon me, just, it still doesn't work. It doesn't jive with real life. But because I've seen some new and different things, and at the end of the day, I would say God is different than who I understood God to be. I, as a human being, am different than what I understood myself to be before. And the relationship looks different and should look different than what I thought it should look like before. And that's why I'm standing, if you like, on this soapbox and I'm bringing these ideas out. And when I say that things look different, I really mean my life has been changed in some really radical ways. Not just that I feel differently, but the whole interactions, my marriage, everything, how I deal with my, my view of my work, how I interact with people generally, how I parent, all of that has been impacted in a positive way. How I, what I think of myself, how I feel about myself, all of that has been impacted positively. And at the end of the day, I guess I would say, I mean, I really believe this idea that one of the main things that happens here and now when we enter into right relationship with God is that we experience life more abundantly, that there's more richness, more fullness. And the things I'm describing, you know, how I relate to myself, how I relate to my spouse and my family, how I relate to others, how I relate to God. When I see gains across all those areas, that for me is very telltale of what abundant life should look like. So what are you feeling reluctant to talk about or what haven't you said yet? (laughs) Oh man, you are pushing me. (laughs) I'm like, I think you've pretty much said this stuff already. So what? Oh, I think you haven't seen the elephant yet. Okay. The elephant, the elephant (laughs) in the room. Where is he? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. He's hiding pretty well. I keep him hidden. The elephant is at the end of the day, these choices, the choice of how to view God, the choice of how to understand what human beings are, the choice of what the relationship between God and humans should look like or, or does look like, these are choices. People make these choices. They may be completely unaware that they're making them. They may, may make them with being very, very uninformed 
you know, and by uninformed, I would say a lack of rigor, right? A lack of doing your homework. And sometimes, you know, I'm not saying everybody, everything's about homework, but there is some homework involved, right? And it's at least the homework of recognizing, well, here's actually what I do think about who God is. Here's actually what I do think about what a human being is. And here's actually what I do think about what the relationship between the two should look like. I think for a lot of people, maybe those things aren't even visible enough to them, their own views. They're not aware of their own views enough. And I guess what I would say is, these are some of the most crucial choices we have. And I think in our churches, these choices and these understandings are not put out at all as though they are choices. And people, particularly, are not given the skills to become wise choice makers in these areas. So what would it look like if someone had a choice? Someone, someone sitting in church today, what would having a choice look like? I think having a choice would recognizing that there's more than one way of seeing things. And sometimes, I think a lot of people recognize that there's more than one way, but they categorize those two ways, if there are two ways, let's say, or five ways. There's one or two right ways, and the rest are wrong ways. And I think having a choice, in the sense I'm talking about, means understanding that there are a variety of ways of approaching these things and of seeing them. I think it also means changing our scale. The scale is not right and wrong. Ultimately, is something right? Ultimately, is something wrong in God's eyes? When, when, when somebody who's sitting in a church today can see the matter with God's eyes, I really hope they'll call me up and let me know because I'd like to see it that way too. But I hope they'll understand when they do so that I'm going to tell them that I don't believe them. Because the only way they're going to see it with God's eyes is if they are God. And so I think what we need to do is really bring out our grayscale. Churches don't help us create a grayscale. They help us create two extremes, usually. Black or false, or, or false dichotomies. <laughs> yeah. And so this whole idea of rigor and what this idea, coming back to that, I like that. Instead of talking about being academic or being intelligent, being rigorous, doing your homework would involve, from my perspective, bringing out the fact that you are making choices now, whether you're making them because it's all you've ever been shown, whether you're making them because your church can only show you one thing because that's all the minister knows. And, you know, I think from, this, I'll say this because this is the first time I've ever been I live in a small community now, and there's one minister in town. And one of the things I've noticed, and this is strange, I've never seen this before, they refer to him not as the pastor, but as pastor, as though his title is his name. And there's this real sense of veneration. And I think that veneration is highly misplaced. I think that's a big mistake. So when people think that they're ministers because they've gone to school, they have certain training, are able to show them the right way to do things, I would say, think again. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. Well, and I think we've, yeah, I think we've gone down this path before that in a lot of churches, the pastor has kind of this special mantle, this special mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, implicit in the fact that they're the pastor, setting aside however they got there. But the fact that they're the pastor means that they're kind of a little level higher than everyone else in terms of the what God has to say about everyone's lives. And, and in other words, if you took a parishioner and the pastor and they had something to say to me about my life, the pastor would have more say than the parishioner. Setting aside like 
their background, where they're coming from, how they form their conclusions, mm-hmm. the pastor would automatically be in a slightly more exalted position. Although if you pushed against it and said, hey, how does this make any sense? People would say, well, no, we're all equals, except when we're not. <laughs> except when we're not, yeah. And I'm not so much pushing back against the whole past, you know, ministers being in positions of power. I think we need that. I think we need people who are helpful in guiding us. But I no, guess... I'm not even sure if I agree with that. But No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll be the most scandalous one today. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, as where you're going, I guess are you saying? I mean, what I've heard, what I'm hearing you say so far is, in our conversations, we're not following the mainstream path. I hear you encouraging people to realize that they're making choices, even if they don't think they're making choices. And I think also you're saying people have choices, even if they don't think they have choices. Yes. In other words, the the way that evangelical Christianity is often presented as there is the one true way, here's what it is, and if you want to go to heaven, you choose this way, and if you want to go to hell, you choose, well, you choose or don't choose this way. Yeah, and I guess to say also they have made choices. They have already made choices. And maybe when you say, you know, you raise the heaven and hell uh, question— and it's just so dichotomous, so polarized, so binary. Maybe that's where a lot of this comes from. And again, maybe that's another reason why I'm trying to push back against that and say, no, 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 that's not what Christianity is about. Like your book, I think Christianity is about being in a love relationship with God. Is there truth there? Yes. Is truth pivotal to getting there? Yes. Does truth come out of that? Yes. Love and truth, truth and love. But I guess what I'm trying to, the elephant I'm trying to bring out, and I'm trying to bring it out in a gentle, the gentlest way possible, is that if Christians do not see that there is a grayscale, if they do not, if they cannot move out of the right and wrong, true and false attitude, then I think they have a picture of God that is false. I think they have an understanding of human beings that is sorely lacking. And my guess is that because of those two things, their sense of what the relationship between the two of them should look like is misleading. And ultimately, one, unfulfilling for themselves, and two, not compelling for people outside of the church. So I guess what I'm saying and where I'm getting to, if I really bring the elephant out a little bit more, is it is my hope through this podcast that we can encourage people who are Christians particularly to change the way they understand God, they understand themselves, and they view the relationship between the two of them. And I don't think that we, it's not my intention, to do that on the basis of some emotional hijacking or, or even uh, compulsion. It's to do it through rigor. It's to do it, on the one hand, through intellectual argument, but on the other hand, yeah, through the the corroboration of experience and how we experience the world and what it's like, you know, when we talk about not deserving God's love. And then if you pulled your child out of the way of a hurtling car and the child looked up at you and said, I didn't deserve that, would that seem like it was completely out of left field and crazy? Yeah. So how does that work with God loving us and God doing something for us and we saying to God, oh, I didn't deserve that. 
You know, so it's asking questions on a whole bunch of levels to try to get people into a position where they recognize that they have made a choice to understand what that choice is, to see other choices on the table, and to ask them finally, to get them to ask themselves the questions with A, the seriousness, and B, the resources, what are the best choices? What are the better choices I can be making in terms of how I see God, how I understand myself and human beings, and what the relationship between the two should look like? That's where I want to go. And what I think is, as I think about my background, what I, th- the, I don't know if it's irony, I don't know what the right word is, but in a very strange way, though, the system naturally closes that door because the idea of, well, the idea of, of there being multiple options. I mean, there's, whoa, you want to like, I mean, I'm sure we just lost three listeners right there. The only three we had, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the idea, the idea in evangelical Christianity that there are multiple ways to God, woo, you know, the alarms just all went off. Like there can't be, there is one way to God. And I'm not saying, I guess what I'm trying to say is, What's kind of baked into the overall system is that there's only one way. So the minute you start to say, well, there could be multiple ways or different ways. In other words, that's one of the rules. That's one of the rules of of how it all works is there can only be one way. So that's kind of like that's one of the places you start from, because if there's multiple ways, well, that means that you're liberal and that means that you don't take the Bible seriously. And that means that you're just trying to have life and God on your own terms. There are rights and wrongs and blacks and whites. There can't be these shades of gray. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. There's only one choice. Do you want it or not? And so <laughs> that's where I, yeah, I'm sure we're losing people right there. And that's okay. I Well, let me clarify too, though, because I, I think I hear you echoing back something that's somewhat different than what I'm, what I'm saying. Okay. I think... So, for example, when you're talking about there only being one way, um, you know, uh, Catholic theologian Karl Rahner has proposed the idea of the anonymous Christian, someone who is a Christian without knowing it. I think the idea is thought-provoking. I think the idea has some merits. Ultimately, ultimately, I think it's a great stretch. You know, I haven't read Rahner's in depth on that. So I'm not going to comment on whether I agree with Rahner or not, because I don't know enough of exactly what he said for me to legitimately make that comment. But I would say that part of what's involved here is, I mean, we're not talking about being holding to a Buddhist perspective or an Islamic perspective or an atheist perspective. No, no, no. And being a Christian. No. Right. But in the same way, I think Christians should find it troubling, maybe not undoing but troubling that you can find Christians who will pick up the same Bible, read the same verses, sing the same hymns, who have some radically different perspectives on these questions of who God is, what human beings are, and what the relationship between the two should look like. But they don't. But they don't. Don't they? Well, my experience is the tribe that you're in has the right answer. And all the other tribes are just misguided and, and deluding themselves. But fortunately, we were blessed with having the right answers on everything. So you're saying that that Christians typically aren't bothered by the fact that other, other I don't, Christians think differently? I don't think so. That's not th- been my experience. There's nothing okay. to be bothered about because they're just misguided and lost. We have the answers. It's so arrogant. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we've got it all figured out and wired. 
Well, so guess, there's there's no there's no need to to be concerned. I mean, yeah. you got the right answer. The the it's just sad that everyone else doesn't. <laughs> we feel badly for all you. <laughs> yeah, that's sometimes that's sometimes you know oh those those poor and saved people in the world. You know if mm-hmm. if you know they they don't realize how badly they need God and and you know mm-hmm. they. They say they're having. They say that they find satisfaction in their lives, but they don't really. They're just. Yeah. They're just deluding themselves. And I guess. And maybe I, they are, but I, for that to be the only option, I'm. Yeah, and an automatic option, and I guess that's what I'm working on. The one hand, to push back against, but I'm doing it from within the system, and I'm doing it by advocating. I guess like looking at some of these perspectives that are popular. You know, we're doing this with not a fan and saying, okay, you know, everybody thinks this is the right way to go. And without really answering the question of why do they think that we're saying, here's where we'd go and why. And as you said, you know, this is convincing. This is rigorous. I guess I would go a step further. Maybe I'm going, maybe the radical step that I'm not, I don't know if radical is the right word, but the really forceful step, the definite step is to say that if you're in a church that is presenting you with the notion that you're right and everybody else is wrong, I really think you should get out of that church. It could be that the perspective that's being taught and espoused in that church is more right than wrong. And it could be when comparisons are made with other groups that the perspective in that church is more right than the perspectives of of those other groups. But I guess we need... As Christians, we are not people who adhere to a perspective. We are people who are deeply engaged and have the best answers to the questions, who is God? What are human beings? What should the relationship between the two look like? We are experts on these questions. And if your church is not developing your expertise in this these areas, then I would definitely question whether this is the right place to be. And I think the other piece that I would put alongside of that, we don't take a bunch of different books. We aren't introduced to commentaries. We're not introduced to the idea of thinking about these things, of asking these questions, of going through a process with each other of saying, who do you think God is? And how did you come to those conclusions? And what might change those? My sense is you're much more optimistic than I am that that can happen in a, quote, church environment. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at about a 2 or a <laughs> 1 even that I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. So the next question would be like all kinds of questions of like, well, what about the church? And, you know, the Bible tells us we have to go to church. And the people would say that and they'd say, well, not forsaking the gathering with other believers. I know we bit, we beat that to death on this podcast. I, this is just my own thinking and evolution, which is admittedly influenced a lot by a podcast I really like, uh, The God Journey with Wayne Jacobson. Mm. He's pretty much a big proponent of this too. And I see it in work too. I see it in my work environment that the institution kind of takes on a life of its own. Mm. And I know the institution or the company is made up of people, but they're... I don't have a solution. All I can see right now is the problem. I hope someday I have a solution. Mm-hmm. I think Labrie is one possible solution. I also say that attending Labrie for most people kind of ruins church thereafter. 
<laughs> because I think I've touched on this before. What ruined it for me was realizing that I could sit in a lecture at Labrie, even though it was, quote, a lecture. Mm. But at, almost at any time, I could raise my hand and say, I don't get where you're going, or I don't agree with where you started, or I don't agree with your conclusions. Can you help me understand this better? Or, like, this doesn't make sense. Mm. And that was always possible. Mm-hmm. compared to the example that I've used over and over again of attending church where someone's preaching through Isaiah, and mm-hmm. I'm going home and I'm looking <laughs> in the commentaries and kind of doing my own homework when I get home. And there's two different things. Like yeah. at no point as I'm sitting there in the service getting angry and angrier could I raise my hand and just say, what are you talking about? Where, where, <laughs> this isn't there. Now, granted, I could have gone up after the service and talked to him, but like, I don't know. Sure. I could go down a whole tangent and someone could criticize me for not having really sat down with the pastor. But my experience in most of those places is the pastor already has the answers. And it's interesting that you have another perspective. But, you know, this is what the Bible says. So, yeah, I have my doubts. And when I think of church, I'm thinking of bigger churches because that's what kind of surrounds where I live. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. thousand, two thousand people. Big. And yes, it's it's kind of the institution and, quote, the church believes this and this is our statement of faith and these are our programs and this is what the leadership of the church believes that this church needs. And Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I was having a conversation with a fellow who's a missionary. I've been a missionary for 25 years. And I was raising a number of questions to him. As we got further and further and further into the conversation, it became clearer and clearer and clearer that um, the only way this guy could accept some of the like he would I would I would push him in the direction of experience, and he would he would sort of agree and agree and agree and agree. And it was like a I don't know if you've ever tried to like a a sliding door or something like that. And they've got a grooved uh, piece that it, it fits into. And you can try to move that groove or move something out of that groove and you can get it so far. And then it just all snaps back into place. And it's so frustrating. It was like that with him. He would get so far and then he would feel, I think at some level, the implication, which was I'm calling. If you concede where I'm going and obviously, yes, you're agreeing, you're agreeing. That's true. That's true. That's true. But the implication was this would call into question 25 years of missionary service, 25 years of how he had been, you know, and not wrongly treating people. But some of the things I was proposing were extremely threatening because he had based his life on other ways of doing things. And he had told people, these other ways of doing things, these are the right way. And he's agreeing with me up until the point I guess, that it feels so uncomfortable for him that he just has to disagree. He doesn't have a good reason for doing so. He essentially agrees with me, or seems to. You know, the, the, the other thing I'll liken it to, the other analogy, uh, my favorite philosopher, um, he was, uh, how old was he? 92 when he died? And he, Paul Ricoeur, incredibly established, just incredibly established, and and highly regarded in his field. And he was do, he was in an interview. I think he was in his late 80s. He was, you know, he's at the point in his career 
where he doesn't have to double back on anything. Where he can just say, you know what, I'm sticking with my guns here. He's 89 and he's talking about his students. And he's saying, you know, my students have come to me and said, I don't think this view is tenable. And I think they're right. If you don't have that kind of humility, there is no way you're going to make that, that step. Right? It doesn't look cool. It doesn't look good. It's not, you know, self-promoting. Um, it's not what a lot of people do. And I guess what I would say is the duty of a Christian is more to truth than it is to their notion of Christianity. Why? Because false religion is a reality. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I just don't agree with the way you're seeing things. And we sit down and we have a conversation about that particular situation. And I come to uh, be persuaded by their perspective. My obligation as a Christian is not to, not to keep on going with whatever theological understanding I have, with whatever doctrinal or denominational viewpoint I hold, but to go with what seems true. And when that happens, we are effectively following Christ. We are effectively following Jesus as Christians. When we don't do that, we are not being Christian. We are allowing truth to be something that is less important than, say, our own particular stance on the matter or our standing in whatever community happens to be looking at us, whether it's the pastor, whether it's the philosopher, whomever it is. And I guess this is a subject for another podcast But Christians are to be truth seekers. And when we prioritize our Christian views above truth, you can't do that. Once you do, your quote-unquote Christian views turn out to be your own pet projects, your own insecurities, your own arrogance, and lack of humility. So is the elephant that you're wanting to call out the fact that you feel that in presenting truth and love, you are presenting a different paradigm what was the what was the part that you were feeling so reluctant to share talk about or i guess just to be final about to be definite about yeah i mean i i'm not proposing take this take my view or take your traditional view i'm i'm saying i think my view is better i'm arguing for why that is i'm saying that if you are in a church situation or if your church culture or denominational orientation is such that you uh, have, you are, you've never been taught or you're unable to, to conceptualize the idea of interacting with choices and to recognize that there's more than one view, to recognize that particularly if you see things as we're right and everybody else is wrong, that this is not Christian. This is anti-Christian because it quashes the idea of truth being bigger than you. When you are bigger than truth, you have made yourself equal with God. That's idolatry. Back away. But that whole piece on love and truth as well, so many evangelicals want to claim truth, but the truth they claim is the truth that they possess in their churches and when it comes right down to it, are they truth seekers? Were they, do they even have the skills and or, pardon me, the integrity to get into a conversation 
about truth and about truth-seeking with others who don't happen to be in their denomination, who don't happen to be Christians, who don't happen to share any of their values. I guess the elephant in the room is there's a huge reversal here that I'm proposing. And I'm proposing not only different ways of seeing books like Not a Fan, but different understandings of who God is, of how humans are supposed to relate to God, of what it means to have truth, of what biblical truth is. And biblical truth, as important it is as it is, is only one component of truth. You may think you have the Bible and you know it well. That's great. What scares me the most, John, is that I don't know how many people would actually hear that type of message and say, wow, that really makes some sense. I think for the most part, people will hear that and either and have a reaction that whether they are conscious of it or not is based on uh, some variety of fear, maybe sheer terror at the idea that they back away from the way their church has taught them or realize that their church hasn't actually been teaching them, that there's more than one way to see this, that truth-seeking is more important than their denominational perspective. I'm afraid that essentially it shuts down everything that we're trying to achieve. But I guess on the other hand, I feel like it's time to, we put enough episodes out there and it's time to come forward and say, yeah, this is where we're going. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm focusing on. And it's maybe really uncomfortable, but that's it. Well, thanks for putting it out there. What's sit, sitting where I'm sitting, I don't hear what you've, like, I'm not seeing a big bombshell. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, okay, I think Greg has, is, is summarizing and putting in more succinct terms what he thinks is wrong and what he thinks is right and hmm. kind of begging people to be really clear about what they think and how they're getting there. Should we play the spooky music? I think it's time. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 55. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.